This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Giuseppe Carollo, Head of Pharmacy Insurance at Carollo Horton. They're an insurance business advisor with specialization in the healthcare and health tech sectors. In this first part of the interview, Giuseppe provides an introduction to healthcare and tech insurance, types of risks involved, and general requirements. We explore how you can transfer a risk to third parties and the value of building a regular advisory relationship with such an insurance expert who has domain expertise within healthcare and health technology. Let's jump in. Hey, Giuseppe, how are you doing today? I'm going really well, thank you. And yourself? Really well, really well, all things considered. Uh, we're right at the cusp of the end of financial year, 2023. Interesting time all around for life and business, but uh, it's important to also understand um, risk, and that's kind of the uh, the central name of your game. So I'm, I'm really uh, happy for you to be along here and actually tell us a little bit about, about the industry. I think, I think, you know, when we think about terms like insurance, everybody's got some kind of relationship to it, but do we really understand it? Um, and do we also understand that there are different types of use cases for insurance as well? It's really become quite a sophisticated industry uh, in many respects um, and an evolving industry. So um, I'm excited to be able to sort of work through all those uh, permutations with you today. Um, maybe just to get us started, tell us a little bit about yourself, Giuseppe. You've been, uh, you've been in the industry for a while. What got you into it? And, um, and just give us a short, short version of how you actually got to the point you are today. Yeah, no worries. I think no one ever in high school says, I want to grow up to be an insurance person. It's not really on the career maps when you're sort of speaking to your career counsellor. So everybody always starts off with another idea. So for me, I actually grew up um, around insurance. So my father was a, a, an insurance broker um, and then and then he sort of started off a family business and, and then we've really sort of taken it over. And so I sort of fell into it at, at a younger age of actually helping file the old manila folders in the filing cabinets at the office and things and and now basically taking over running and leading a team here to, to when we look after a varied very client base of insurance around that that's a technology um, and health specters really yeah so you have that um, specialization in the um, healthcare industry as well as um, you do you're not strictly speaking confined to that but it's um uh, it's kind of a unique selling point because you have that uh, focus within the healthcare uh, sector. Um, but ultimately, healthcare uh, operators have business owners and they have personal lives and they have investments and a whole bunch of stuff. So there's quite a an array of ways to be looking at how insurance and risk management uh, kind of work in life. Um, maybe I'll just sort of kick off uh, after all these years. Um, can you give us sort of a just a uh, and a, a simple understanding of what exactly is insurance and, and why is it important to, uh, to business owners? Yeah, definitely. At the real basis of it, insurance is effectively a transference of risk. So basically, a business owner will pay me a premium to transfer that risk of their business uh, across to, to me, whatever that risk may be. It might be that they're worried that their building's going to burn down, that they're worried that if they are a doctor and they dispense some some um, 
medicine, someone or incorrectly diagnosed, someone as a doctor or pharmacist, and then they're transferring that risk across to me. And that is also why the language is slightly different. It's not a price or a cost you pay for insurance. It's a premium. And the word premium there is effectively representing the premium of that, the premium effectively payable for that transference of that risk. And as it goes into that, that most people have different views on risk. So some people are risk averse and they will um, be, be, be wanting to, to transfer all of that risk to us for everything. And then those people will typically have a very low excess that they would pay for their policies. Other people are very comfortable with risk and would have very, very large factories with very, very high excesses. They only want to really claim on their insurances if they have a larger sort of, sort of um, claim or a larger incident occur. And so our job is to work with all those different business owners in, in many different sectors to understand what their risk management plans are and then how insurance fits into a part of that risk management plan. So the transference of risk is really at the heart of it. That's, that's the way I recall being taught about it uh, during my university days as well. Um, but then it sort of comes down to what is risk and what is the uh, definition of risk? Um, you know, you talk about the attitude towards it or the people's mm. willingness to accept some, um, some more or less, um, you know, depending on their uh, attitudes towards it. But can you give me, I guess, a bit of a, a, con- a context of possibly defining risk and secondly, you know, the types of risks that are uh, more pervasive in, in the type of client base that you're dealing with at the moment? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so we, we, we view risk really as, as an adverse, an event or an, an event that would cause an adverse reaction to your business. So something that would, would be probably more of a negative risk is what we look at. Sometimes you can take a risk to get a positive return on, on some sort of investment or something, but the way we view it really is 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 something that may occur. So it may have a, a low probability of occurrence, but it would have a high impact if it occurred. So like I was just saying earlier, if, if you have a, a large warehouse and there's a low probability it will burn down, but if it does, it'll have a high impact both on, on the reputational aspects of your business, the cost and those other aspects. So the sorts of risks we really deal in come down to a lot of the sectors. So a lot of the work we do in the health area is really around who needs that insurance and what do you have to have, what's mandatory and what's optional in that risk management plan with the client when we have that discussion. So for example, if you are a pharmacist, the APRA, so APRA who is the government department regulating pharmacies, they specify or they, they, they make it mandatory that every pharmacist has professional indemnity insurance for $20 million maximum per claim for their, for, for, in order to keep their pharmacy license uh, to be able to practice as a pharmacist in Australia. So that is an example of a mandatory requirement. Another example where we have other mandatory requirements is um, if your healthcare business or tech business and you know, you're renting an office space, and that office space your landlord may have some minimum requirements for insurance and that lease typically around some sort of public liability in case somebody trips up on on something in the office space, as well as typically the glass windows in case there's something damaged on those glass windows. So those sorts of insurances are typically a bit more mandatory for the reasons they're forced upon the business owner by other external means. And then the past, um, and then everything past that point is really something that's a little bit more optional. So if you're um, a GP clinic or an allied health sort of service, you may have a reception area with some chairs and seating and a whole bunch of sort of clinical treatment rooms around the edges. And then you have a car park out the front 
all I see when I when I when I talk through those scenarios is risks. Somebody could trip up in the car park. Someone could be given incorrect advice by the doctor on site. They could have an incident um, with another member of the public in the waiting room. And these are all areas of risks where having an insurance policy would be able to sort of support that and manage those, um, close those gaps and fit in the risk management plan there. Yeah. So um, a, a couple of really good points there. So on the one hand, you may have a mandatory requirement to um, have insurance in place to support certain risks. Mm. So one of the things you touched on there was the uh, professional indemnity. Um, and uh, uh, and then you gave some examples of other types of uh, potential business risks that um, that could get triggered. So the idea is that um, as a business owner, uh, is it up to the business owner to uh, kind of um, come to their own realisation as to what those risks? I mean, it's one thing to have a regulator tell you that we're not going to register you as a healthcare provider unless you have professional indemnity in place. Um, and I think it's fair to say when you're renting an office or even if you purchase a property, more often than not, whoever is uh, lending you money is uh, compelling you to have some insurance in place as well. So they're the kind of triggers where, you know, a, um, a person who's going about their business life within healthcare or within health tech will get nudged really strongly by certain uh, stakeholders who um, have a concern or, or perceive a risk that could affect them adversely as well. And so they're saying to you, you need to have something in place to give us comfort that if, if uh, in the worst case, these events uh, give rise to what we have a concern about, what we define as risk, um, then we're going to have adequate cover in place. Are there um, scenarios though that perhaps most most business owners in healthcare just don't don't even think about because nobody's telling them you have to have a certain type of insurance in place that they should be thinking about? And perhaps any any case studies that you could refer to around that? It's a, it's, a, it's a really good point actually. As the landscape evolves, and we saw this during COVID, the technology like. Technology services in this space really have really just leapt forward so much quickly, so much faster over COVID. And what we noticed was the prevalence of everything moving electronically. So we have e-scripts, we have the a lot more people using electronic registration systems for appointments and things like that. And this really opened up a whole bunch of cyber insurance um, risks. And so as part of really having a conversation with a good insurance broker like myself or, or, or others in the industry in Australia, they are the ones that will raise those points as part of that risk mitigation discussion to sort of say, okay, business owner, do you know about cyber risks? These are some of the examples we're seeing. Um, and then going back into, into some of the, those examples. So, so what we are seeing ourselves in this area of cyber insurance is that there's a lot more cases coming through Firsthand, we are probably hearing of something probably once a month now, where a few years ago, it might have been once every six months, where there's a firsthand report of one of our clients or um, somebody that we know actually having a cyber breach. Now, those cyber breaches could be something very complex, like they're watching the email account. They, they hack into your email account. They watch for when you go on holidays. And when you go on holidays, they pretend to act as you and email back to the bookkeeper and ask them to make some payments on on your behalf while you're on holidays. We've had other examples where people have gone in and, and hackers have, have changed the banking details on the payroll system so that then when the business owner goes and does the pay run, he inadvertently pays the money to the hackers. In these, and there's many other examples, having a cyber insurance policy in these instances will 
either remove or very much reduce the risk that's applicable in in those scenarios as well, um, allowing what is a very stressful time to become a little bit less stressful and a little bit more supported in the way that it, it manages that. Especially in the healthcare space, we all deal with a lot of personal data. And so when the personal data is is potentially being, being accessed by a malicious third party, there is also uh, a, an aspect of voluntary reporting that may be required to the regulatory authorities to say, hey, this might have happened. And there's also voluntary reporting to the individual customers involved where you may need to go to them and say to them, hey, this is, we, we suspect that someone may have taken your, your health data off, off, um, off our records, off our systems or something. And so being able to communicate that and you can see the more recent big name breaches around Optus and some of the others um, have caused a widespread impact awareness in the industry and a lot of improvements in the way that even the way that Victoria issues licenses now, there's not just a license number, there's a card issue number on there as well. So if that card is compromised, they can issue another one um, as a way of sort of just, just, just keeping people's sort of um, personal data well, the personal in that, in that regard. Other areas we're seeing as well, apart from cyber, is having a good broker that provides good risk management means that they also tell you about other things. If you're, for example, running a chain, a successful chain of, of, of physio clinics that um, well, with a board of directors across all of those, there may be things like manage, management liability insurance, directors and officers insurances, some other more bespoke insurance products that may meet some of the risks that you might be seeing in your businesses as well. Um, and even some of the larger tech businesses that we work with that have uh, data center sites and a lot of physical dollar, big dollar infrastructure around the place, as well as a big impact if that infrastructure was to go down on their own profits, that we can mitigate those sort of risks as well with, with the, 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 the bigger, bigger capital projects and bigger infrastructure aspects as well. Yeah, the, I guess the reality, one way of looking at it would be just to say, look, as a, as a business owner, you are self-insuring unless you partner with an organisation who is, um, through a statistical or actuarial sense, is, is prepared to accept a premium in yeah. return for taking that risk from you or certainly mitigating it to be bound by some kind of monetary value and perhaps some other um, terms and conditions that are associated with it. So I, w- I would argue, and tell me whether you think this is a reasonable mindset, I would argue that as a business owner or even as a healthcare professional, or, or if you're both, that sort of is, you know, just a, a more nuanced way of looking at risk, that um, you, you start from the position of I am bearing all the risk. Everything is on my shoulders at the moment unless I work towards um, ticking the boxes on um, certainly established ways of transferring risk. And that's where the insurance industry and somebody like yourself, uh, Giuseppe, has an array of um, productized ways of accepting that transfer of risk. Would that be a a sort of a a fair way to look at it? And I think, yeah, that's a, you sum that up really nicely, actually. And it's indeed a fair way. You you start off taking on all the risk. And and the first thing you do as a business owner is, is thinking about the regulatory areas, like I was saying earlier. Another regulatory area that's the first thing that affects business owners as soon as you hire someone. You, know, you can start your little um, business in the spare room of your house and then suddenly you, you have to hire more people and you move out to a premises. The risks increase in the size. 
And then workers' compensation, like the work cover risks, is is a big one where you want to say, well, you want to make sure you keep your staff um, safe and and healthy. And if anything happens to them, that there's some sort of sort of things to control there. And it's indeed indeed the case. A lot of business owners just don't know what they don't know and what's available in this space too. And we would regularly work with new business owners who come to us with a great, fantastic business idea, and they are so full of of just enthusiasm for this fantastic sort of product that I was working on the other day about some sort of something that's going into nursing homes and it's this fantastic tech product for nursing homes and it's just the the the, the, um, the, the client is just so enthusiastic about the product but by their own admission doesn't know anything about how to run a business and 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 everything from the your bookkeeping tax returns through to insurance through to everything else so what I can really advise in that space is when you're starting off in these in, in these businesses or even if you've been going for a few years Surround yourselves with a, a trusted panel of advisors, you know, a good insurance guy, a good accountant, a good bookkeeper, and then listen to them. The insurance person will be able to explain to you what you're paying for, what you need, review it on a regular basis, start off small and then grow. And it's the same with the other, the other sort of experts that you have around you. And then you start to transfer that risk. And then you also then start to then transfer the, the, to the work. We have some larger clients clients where we actually have our insurance people that work with them almost almost as a seconded staff member that they're on, they're on the phone, they're visiting them regularly, working with them. And that's when you really become an insurance partner with some of these bigger operators where, where you're almost part of their business, a little bit lesser part of our business on the insurance side because you're doing so much work for those, those few larger clients where you become part of their organization. And that's almost the other end of the spectrum, Yanni, from where you sort of start off saying that the business owner is doing all the risk through to almost having a an outsourced IT portfolio management team that even maybe spends a day a week sitting in your own actual offices. Yeah, I think I think they're really good points, and um, and I think it's it it is important to sort of um, just qualify something that um, you sort of touched on earlier. You're, you're very gracious in saying that you know to come and speak to somebody like yourself or anyone in your industry. I'd actually disagree with you slightly on that. I think there is. Um, it's important to actually really find people who do have a domain experience in the type of business that you're in. So with, you know, I'd certainly acknowledge and respect that there are a lot of uh, um, insurance advisors around the country who meet the um, regulatory requirements to be insurance brokers, but um, it's not all apples for apples. It's not all um, people who perhaps have a specialization or perhaps have a client base that's built in healthcare uh, and health technology who really understand the domain, because um, just going back to what I was touching on earlier, um, and, I, and I might be sort of flying your flag, uh, Giuseppe, in, uh, by saying this, but the reality is that as business owners, we are self-insuring ourselves. If we don't have a policy in place to cover a certain type of defined risk that at least at an in- industry level has been accepted as um, being able to be um, uh, transferred to, to an insurer, then you're taking it on. And, um, and to pick up on a point that you made earlier, you don't know what you don't know. So it, to me, it seems just really logical to work with a person who has the benefit of having accrued experience and knowledge by virtue of a client base that is, you know, I I have this kind of um, life lesson where I say, look, everyone who goes into business could probably figure things out if you give them enough time and money, right? Mm. But why would you want to spend 10 years accruing knowledge and sort of burning through your own resources in order to sort of say, I figured it out myself. When you could actually work with somebody who's already worked with hundreds of clients who have all had their own sort of, you know, 
on average, similar experiences, but they've also had some nuanced yeah. experiences. And these things are so valuable to actually be able to go to a person and say, tell me what I need to be aware of, like inform yeah. me, bring me up to speed. What are your thoughts 100%. on that? And I, I agree with that. So, so, so personally, I manage a lot of the pharmacy insurance uh, needs for the pharmacy industry in Australia. So we are quite large in that space. We have a lot of knowledge and I actually understand some of the, the medicines that are actually uh, cold chain focused. So some of the ones that really need to be in the fridge and need to be managed specially. So when there's a power outage at a pharmacy, we know how to deal with that. But in, in the setup of those policies for those new stores, those new pharmacies, you know, I can actually ask the right questions, mentioning the right types of drugs as examples to get the business owner thinking about what the real risks are in their businesses. And, and once again, Yanni, you, you are right. You know, it's very easy. A quick Google search will show you that many, many insurance brokers in Australia on their websites will say they are experts in allied health. They are experts in, in you know, industrial factories. They are experts in, in IT companies. But then when you, when you, when you actually talk to them, they, they really just don't understand what they're sort of talking about, but sometimes you need to really listen hard to sort of hear those sort of gaps. And even just last week, we had an example where a client of mine, um, a new client we were taking on, we took take, took on his um, his sort of GP kind of allied health clinics, and then he also had a um, a small warehouse that he was using just for storage of old furniture and bits of you know, Christmas decoration and things. And when we had a look at the insurance for that, we could see that it was clearly. He said to me, oh, it's too, it feels too expensive. It, it feels that it's wrong. So like you were saying, Yanni, he's kind of got a bit of knowledge now. He's learned a bit of self-taught sort of thing as he's been working in his business for a little while. But he said, it doesn't feel right. Can you have a look at it? And we had a look at it. What we immediately noticed was that he was being charged for building insurance as well as the storage of the contents inside the factory. But the factory itself was in a body corporate commercial sort of premises. So sort of one big driveway in and lots of little factories to the sides. And in, that, in those body corporate scenarios like that, you actually have an overarching insurance policy over the whole premises for the building. And so therefore, he was paying building insurance twice. And that was just an example where another broker really just did not understand what they were doing for that, for that insurance, for that policy. And it resulted in this guy having to pay probably, we estimate, $2,000 a year more than he should have been for the last five years. And so needless to say, he was not very happy um, about that situation, but he did take some enjoyment in in um, telling the other broker that he was moving his insurances elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, understandable. And I, look, I think we're sort of evolving now into the nuances of um, quality insurance um, advice and actually looking at the insurance advisor as part of the team. You know, like I really like those yeah. examples you gave of um, uh, almost being part of the team within a business because, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, when businesses grow to a certain point, it's, mm. it's a lot easier to see the value of how important, uh, for example, a CEO or managing director, um, it is to have people around that person, such as boards of directors um, yeah. and advisory boards and what have you. So just because we might be a smaller business, um, you know, just because we're not Commonwealth Bank or BHP or whatever the case is, it doesn't mean that we can't construct our own team of high quality um, expertise uh, niche expertise in different areas that can actually inform the business owner or the practice owner, the practice manager, um, or even um, uh, team leaders from a um, health professional clinical supervision standpoint. All of these things come into play where the faster you can get access to knowledge and experience from people who have been there and done that and understand the risks of your business, 
in your domain, in the type and nature of um, service and activity that you undertake, those things um, can be instantly responded to as far as putting putting the right products in place to be able to mitigate some of the um, worst case scenario to to the actual business, um, which is really a um, a survival mechanism. You know, you don't want to be in a a disastrous situation that actually um, interrupts what's otherwise a really great business. Um, but now because of the the quantum of the exposure that's just been triggered mm. by that event, um, you know, you're dead in the water, your business is done and probably your personal life is going to be suffering as a result of that. So those yeah. things are important. But I think the point you make there as well is that just because we then purchase an insurance, it doesn't mean that we can just sort of um, um, not worry about improving our business processes yeah, yeah. and looking at um, evolving. Um, what do you find um, is, is a typical life cycle of somebody perhaps who is green, let's say on the greener side of running a business, yeah, to yeah. somebody who's now seasoned and, and has, has really, you know, got the cogs well-oiled and turning over really nicely? Yeah. What, what's some examples from your experience? I think the main difference is, is what we sort of talk, keep talking about. It's having that advisory panel around you. So whether you're a business owner and your advisory panel is your partner at the dining table. And then as your business grows, you then have an advisory panel of your insurance broker, your, your, your tax account, your lawyer, and those sort of things. And you go to them for that knowledge. And what I find is when businesses are more mature, they have a very strong network around them if, uh, of, of advisors. So, and it's not just a lawyer. It's, it's everything from they have a good handyman that can come in and fix something in, in, in the consulting room. They've got a really good network of, of, of people for everything that they, that they need to have done. And so it's just having that long list of advisors that they can call on. We do see as well that it's not just about buying an insurance policy and going, great, insurance policy is done, move on. I was walking around a manufacturing client site in, in, in Daniel a little while ago that has... Um, they have a machine that, that makes the make the basically injection molding and they make make plastic. So I love I love it that they're actually manufacturing things in Australia still. Um, and that they showed me uh, a little while ago, they showed me this new machine that they just got from this government uh, government instant tax write-off, this new machine that was, you know, two hundred grand and the government pretty much paid by instant tax write-off. They were able to to claim it in one year and fantastic how it made their business so much more profitable and more efficient to operate. And then I sort of said, Well, that's that's all great. But this new machine that costs you $200,000 is not actually on the insurance policy because you didn't tell us when you bought it. And they said, oh, quickly, oh, we've got to add that on. You know, this, thing's, this, is, this machine is basically employee of the year because it's so fantastic. And I said, well, okay, well, we do that. But it's also just by us being on that trusted advisory panel for that client, we go out and meet with them regularly. And it's not just a, a Zoom meeting or a phone meeting. It's actually going out to their site walking around the site and seeing what's new because sometimes the business owners are so busy with their head down running the business that they actually forget sometimes about these sort of things or have I bought oh that new truck that I've bought I haven't added on that that secondary satellite location that I'm opening up for my physio clinic I forgot to actually do any insurances for that site because I was so focused on the marketing and, and getting the branding and then hiring the staff for that site so it does not stop when we set up the policy. We will actually proactively phone our clients on a regular basis. So, so we will phone them up, and sometimes it actually takes them by surprise. You know, regularly, they'll say to me, "Oh, do I still owe you money for your in- for the insurances?" I said, "No, no, no. Yeah, everything is fine on the insurances." 
well, I'm just phoning to tell you what I'm seeing in your industry at the moment, what your, your peers are telling me. And I want to check that with you to say, are you seeing that in your industry as well? Or if not, here's an opportunity that I heard about from a colleague in Western Australia that might be perfect for you on um, the East Coast of Australia to sort of, you know, parallel develop that sort of idea. So this this concept where you're actually a partner, you're sharing information with them, you're working with them, it's far more than just a transactionary sort of conversation around insurance. Yeah, that makes um, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's just uh, reinforces uh, uh, the earlier point. Uh, it's absolutely key. And I think that's a great example. Imagine Imagine sort of at the beginning of the financial year, you've purchased 200 grand in equipment that's just doing such a good job productivity-wise for you. It's excluded from the current insurance that's in place. And then that disaster strikes, you know, uh, flood, fire, whatever it happens to be. And all of a sudden you find out the hard way that it wasn't in there. Whereas learning learning how to work with um, your insurance advisor and how to uh, make them part of your team, I think is um, part of the point that you're making, which is sort of, Keep just, you know, touch base, like you treat people in that kind of advisory circle um, as, um, as board members, treat them as um, yeah. advisory panels where you are um, developing a habit of touching base and, and just updating, hey, we're doing this, we're doing that. And through that conversation, um, an expert in, in the field like yourself would be able to sort of hone in on something that's new something that wasn't yeah. we weren't aware of previously. Let's talk about that. Tell me a little bit more about that. And all of a sudden you're diagnosing potentially um, uh, yeah, a new risk a or problem. an exposure, yeah. yeah? Yeah, definitely. And that's what I see as well. And it's even just as a business owner grows from the small business and keeps on growing the business and developing and things, it, that they switch. They start off because they've got no clients. They've all they've got an idea is they have plenty of time, plenty of time to do everything and they have no money. So on this sort of sort of set of scales, they have all, all of the balance is on, is on time. So they have a lot of time and no money. So what that means is they want to try and get the best deal for everything that they can, uh, which is great. Sometimes though, what that means is they'll say, well, I'm going to do my own insurances. I'm going to go on the internet and get myself the best insurances that I can find. And I'm going to spend five hours researching it and learning as much as I can in five hours to become a, an, an insurance expert of five, year, five hours of experience. And then I'm going to buy this policy. Um, what we do find though is that if they come and speak to an insurance broker, we can with our wholesale rates, they're actually not going to save any money either. So they can come to us and have those conversations you were just describing, Yanni, and they'll actually potentially either have the same price or even a cheaper price, but they'll definitely get better cover and they'll definitely be more peace of mind. We then also find as that pendulum swings as people get busier, um, they end up having no, no time and lots of money at the other extreme. But those businesses are usually very, very complex. And in those instances, we sometimes have clients where they basically understand we, so that they are confident that we understand their business. And I have clients that will just, especially this time of year, what happened the other day that he just sends an email to his financial planner and to me, and he's, all that's in the email is the attachment of the new car dealership um, purchase invoice. And he knows that we will sort it all out and then we we sort of, send those emails because he understands enough to know that he's got to send those sort of purchases to his insurance guy. And then he knows and trusts that he'll get the right service and advice from the insurance professionals to be able to sort of sort of expand on, on that and, and, and get that sorted out for him so that he can then go about growing his business even further. Yeah. I think, I think it's a really good point. And it kind of sort of reminds me of something um, and, and maybe you could uh, 
you can let me know whether you've observed this with, uh, with your own clients. But, um, you know, back in the day when I was green and, and starting in business, I was thinking like a consumer most of the time, you know, as we're sort of trained as consumers, we're trained to try and find the cheapest price. And we don't always understand what value is and, and how different, um, not necessarily different, but there is a difference between how you approach business versus how you approach your personal consumption um, habits, right? So mm. con- consumption is on, on the main, I'd argue, sort of consumption is more discretionary. Um, and so um, you may not need something, but you want it. Uh, so, you know, shopping around for a cheaper price on that pair of shoes, you know, it might make sense, um, or on, you know, the toiletries or whatever it is, or, um, um, you know, that extra piece of furniture uh, that you just want. But when you're in business, mm-hmm. it's more about your revenue, your profitability. Um, and it's about sort of making, um, wise investment decisions, uh, that are basically bolstering the return to to yeah. the owners um, and uh, supporting financial sustainability for the actual business, and in line with that, um, if you're gonna if you're gonna be sort of a uh, a pretty well paid you know pharmacist um, uh, or, or GP or specialist, and you're putting five or ten hours into finding the best possible price and insurance in your mind, because it may not actually be reality, but it's just in your own process, you may think that you saved um, a little bit of money you're kind of missing a really important business mindset, which is how much did it cost you to get what you think is that little bit of cheaper um, price point? Um, You've invested 10 hours of your time or five hours of your time in doing that, which when you look at from a business standpoint, if you look at the amount of the value of that time, what you could have charged that out if you were providing a service, um, it's actually uh, worse off for you to not work with experts who are already sort of um, surveying the landscape of potential offerings and the right sort of product fit, you know, for your business yeah, at a certain price point. But you, I, I 100% agree with that. That's a fantastic point. But you'd be surprised how many of my clients that will we'll go through the process and we'll go up to the end of it and they'll sort of say to me, I say, is that the best price you can do? And, and my response is, you know, we, we, we always put our best price first. Um, we, there's no we don't actually have an extra 10% in the pocket, right? So for us, it's about the, the, the value of the service we're providing, but it's, it's and, and so many people come to us with, as you described very well, as a, as a kind of, kind of consumer mindset where they're saying, oh, I'm going to try and screw this supplier down to get myself the best deal. And then other people don't realize the big issue here is cash flow in your business. You know, my, my, one of my business mentors has a sign on his wall, you know, cash is king. And, and it's, it's just basically just managing your cash flow in your business. So for a lot of the more mature insurance providers, you know, it's not just you know, more mature customers. It's about helping them with their cash flow. It's not about saving them money or negotiating or having them try and screw me down on price. It's about saying to them, okay, well, this is a very, this is an eighty to eighty thousand dollar insurance portfolio that you need to pay for your for your for your collection of of chiro- chiropractic sort of businesses at these different locations. And so for those ones, what we're going to do is we're actually going to set them up on a monthly payment plan. And yeah, sure, there's probably a little bit of an interest component on that. So it might cost you a, a couple percentage points extra at the end of the year, but it smooths it out. It makes it just just a once a month repayment for that part of that. It gives them, frees up some cash flow that they can go and look at expanding into a fourth, fifth, sixth location with, with that cash flow. And it's, it's a very different conversation than when you're, you're having a conversation with one guy who might have one small clinic and he's saying, oh, I need to save money this month. Can you do the insurances 
for me, cheaper is at your best price. Is it that? And it's just, it's just that changing your mindset from that consumer product to a more of a business to business product. Because if you just buy your pair of shoes online, it's very easy. You know, your size and your, your shoe, it's exactly the same commodity product that you can shop yeah. at as a consumer. Whereas for us ourselves, the process really is if someone comes to us with a new business inquiry and they've just, um, need some insurance for a, um, a, a new warehouse or something, we will then say to them, tell us some questions about what's in your warehouse, what's in your business, how do you do this? And then we take that out to a wholesale panel of sort of 10 different insurers and they are not all the same. So sometimes we will come back with a list of prices or list of quotes from 10 insurers, 10 wholesale insurers, and we'll go back to the client and say, okay, okay, Mrs. Client here, you've got um, these 10 prices and we actually recommend you go for the the third cheapest. And this is why we recommend the third cheapest. So this, this, And then it becomes a conversation with the client. And sometimes we actually end up on like the fourth or fifth cheapest. So they're happy to spend more money because those, those providers offer something that's a little bit specific to their needs that they really want. And a very tangible example of that recently is um, one of my clients was lucky enough to buy a, a large, um, expensive four-wheel drive SUV. Um, and at the same time they bought it, their son's just turned 16 and is going to be driving as a learner. And they sort of said, you know, I, I, I asked these questions because we have this sort of general general advice conversation. And they, they, they mentioned this point. I said, well, look, you know, this is very critical because, yes, generally if you go to a mainstream insurer, most learner drivers are covered. But when you're spending $280,000 on a very expensive SUV, that the learner driver would not actually be able to drive when they're on their P plates. Um, they are actually sometimes n- not approved. So on these cars, the insurance might be anybody under 30 is not allowed to drive the car, including learner drivers. So in this instance, we took their, that car policy out to a bunch of our prestige car insurers and we actually shortlisted only the ones that support learner drivers. And it meant that they actually had to pay probably about $600 more a year on their insurance, but they were happy to do so because we've done that whole risk management discussion, understood their clients' needs and provided them some general advice on what they should do. It's really good. It's really good anecdotes there, um, Giuseppe. I appreciate that. In our next episode, we continue the discussion with Giuseppe covering the scope and value of quality domain-oriented insurance advice, the notion of consumer versus business mindset within the business owners themselves, the type of cash flow management benefits that insurance advice can provide, and the future of healthcare and health tech insurance. Speak to you then. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.